0: Hi, I'm Brian Cooper. I'm a faculty member at MB Seminary, and I am pleased to be able to share with you this morning in the series on barriers to belief. This morning we're going to talk about why and how the Bible is reliable, because I think it is, and I think that we can talk about how to overcome uh, barriers that might exist in some people's minds. Let's get right to it. Let's say you were planning to do some research, let's say about Plato and Aristotle, as one does. You want to know about not only what other people think about them, but also what they themselves had to say. Because you're thorough, you want to do your research well. And you might start with, say, Wikipedia, which gives a pretty good high-level view of a person or topic so that you can use that as a starting point for further research. And like any good researcher, you want to get source material that's as close to the original as possible so that you can form an accurate assessment of Plato and Aristotle themselves. But here's the interesting thing. You can find lots of books and articles that talk about Plato and Aristotle, but finding source material that is actually written by Plato and Aristotle is a different matter. Digging deeper, you discover something a bit disturbing, and you discover a problem. Not only is it impossible to find copies of manuscripts written by Plato and Aristotle, to say nothing of people like Julius Caesar or, or a number of other ancient writers, it's difficult or impossible to even find a manuscript about these figures written within a thousand years of their lives. This is not unusual in ancient Near Eastern or classical Greek studies. Well-known classical authors like Demosthenes, Euripides, Tacitus or Sophocles are represented by manuscripts written anywhere from 750 to 1400 years after the lifespans of those authors. What's more, we're not talking about a a wide selection of manuscripts for us to look at and study. The total number of manuscripts containing the works of Aristotle, 49. The total number of manuscripts describing the life of Julius Caesar, 10. The total number of manuscripts containing the works of Plato, seven. Wow, suddenly things are getting pretty sparse. How do we know that the few manuscripts we have are reliable? Usually, the the more we have that are alike, the greater our comfort. But if there are so few? hmm. Here's a really funny thing. Despite the small pool of resources from which to draw to do scholarly research, Scholars have had no difficulty recreating, corroborating, and commenting on the historical, political, philosophical contributions of people like Plato, Aristotle, and Julius Caesar. These are certainly figures that no credible scholars doubt as to being real historical figures to study. Quite the contrary. Despite the gap between their lives and the accounts of their lives in their writings, scholars universally acknowledge that these are real historical figures that we can know about. But the historical distance between people being talked about and the writers doing the talking creates room for doubt. Let's refocus our hypothetical study to the Old Testament. Is the manuscript evidence concerning the Old Testament that is, the age of the manuscripts and their proximity to the historical events they describe, any better than that for other historical figures? For a long time, the evidence was that the Old Testament had support which was no better than, but no worse than, the others. Where the Old Testament manuscript tradition was different was in the number of manuscripts and fragments from which the text of the Old Testament could be determined. When we include full and partial manuscripts of the Old Testament, we're looking minimally at tens of thousands of copies, all of which are remarkably consistent. In light of this, if we're inclined to derive any conclusions about history based on documents related to people like Julius Caesar, Plato, or Aristotle, we should be at least as confident about deriving conclusions based on the historical accounts contained in the Old Testament and likely more confident. Now that's something I would have told you 75 years ago. Then something changed everything. In 1947, some Bedouin goat herders found an assortment of clay jars in some caves by the Dead Sea. Eventually, in total, tens of thousands of fragments were discovered in several caves belonging to over 900 scrolls. Well, how was that important? I'm glad you asked. In the 19th and early 20th centuries, skeptical scholars were calling into question the integrity of some biblical books, doubting that the manuscripts available were representative of the texts as they were originally written. Because the earliest available Hebrew manuscripts, comprising what is known as the Masoretic Text, dated from about the 9th century, there were questions about its faithfulness to the original texts. The Dead Sea Scrolls, which which were much older, archaeologists dated them between the 1st century BC and the 1st century AD, contained biblical manuscripts that were remarkably similar to those in use confirming that there was reason to believe that the Old Testament texts were based on a more reliable manuscript tradition than previously thought. In fact, Jewish scribal traditions placed extreme emphasis on accurate transmission of biblical texts. Scribes didn't just sit down with a copy of the Old Testament and a blank parchment and copy from one to the other. Groups of scribes worked together giving attention to the copying of every individual letter on each page. At the completion of each page every letter was counted to make sure that there were no mistakes. The Hebrew word for scribes can also mean one who counts that is one who counts words. To this day Scribes who make Torah scrolls or Tanakh scrolls for Jewish synagogues follow the same practice. They can tell you how many letters there are in the different books of the Old Testament and how many of each letter there are in the Old Testament total. And things like the the midpoint in Old Testament books. In case you want to impress your friends, there are 304,805 letters Hebrew letters, that is, in a sofer Torah, an official Torah. The modern translations of the Bible we use are based on the same manuscript tradition used to produce these Torah scrolls. So I think we have a pretty good reason to believe that what we use is based on reliable documentation. But Let's take our thought exercise one step further. We're still talking about the Old Testament. And after we've done some research into what the Old Testament books tell us, we start to believe there's something really compelling about them. But are they true? I mean, what good is having an accurate account if it's only the account of a fairy tale? Well, that's a reasonable question, a pertinent question for anyone who's concerned about establishing the reliability of the Bible. The books of the Old Testament give readers insight into who God is how the world God created works, and how God works in the world God has created. For this reason, the narratives in the Bible are rooted in a real-world perspective. Even more, they tell the story of God at work in the world by talking about God at work in the world, the real world, full of real people, places, and events. Biblical accounts refer to pagan nations, kings, places, and even language and terminology that shows readers that the writers were attentive to historical context. Like they're there, because they are there. And the obvious inference is that God can and does continue to work as much in the present day as God did in the time of the biblical narratives. Now, The Bible was written long ago, but we can gain insight into the world of the Bible, the ancient Near East, also through archaeological investigation. And archaeologists have been making discoveries for centuries that show us that the world described in the Bible corresponds to the ancient Near East seen through the world of archaeology. Not only that, archaeological discoveries have corroborated or validated a number of biblical narratives, some of which were doubted by scholars. Here's an example. Old Testament texts refer frequently to the Hittites, one of the nations that lived in Canaan before the Israelites came to dwell in the land. For some time, scholars doubted that the biblical texts were referring to an actual historical people because they had never found any archaeological evidence of their existence. But then, in the late 19th century, archaeologists discovered evidence of the Hittites a powerful nation that stretched from what is now eastern Turkey through most of modern-day Syria. These days, archaeologists are regularly making new discoveries that reconfirm the reliability of biblical accounts of history. The Biblical Archaeology Society and its journal, the Biblical Archaeology Review, publish these findings for the world to see. You can read about them on their website. Some of you may be thinking, fine, the Old Testament is reliable, but what about the New Testament? Well, I'm very glad you asked. If we scrutinize New Testament texts using the same criteria and standards as we did for other ancient texts in the Old Testament, I think you're going to see similar results. Remember what we said about the date and number of Old Testament texts in comparison to others? Well, the New Testament is even better documented still. There are approximately 25,000 manuscripts that contain all, some, or a fragment of the New Testament. The New Testament is the best documented ancient text in history. The consistency and agreement of the manuscript witness is uncanny in the range of 99 and a half percent. In fact, the total number of textual variations amounts to about A half a page of text and it does not involve any significant teachings about Jesus or other theological matters. Another fascinating fact that will shed light on the way in which New Testament books have been viewed historically is this. Even if we lost every one of the manuscripts in existence today, we could reconstruct virtually the entire New Testament, all but about 11 verses, based entirely on quotations from patristic authors, writers who lived during the first few centuries after the time of Christ. That gives us another layer of documentary evidence to support our confidence that we have a reliable New Testament text. So when you're reading a New Testament, you can be confident that you are reading something that is faithful to what was written originally. But again, is it true Well, let me say this about its reliability first. I'm telling you this because this fact bears on truth. Whereas the earliest manuscript copies of a number of ancient texts generally date from several hundred years after the original writing, the earliest copies of the New Testament manuscripts date to within a hundred years of the original writing and the original events. What this means is that based on the manuscript evidence, there is more reason to view the New Testament manuscripts as reliable than there is for any other ancient text. And if we think we have a good idea about figures like Julius Caesar, Plato, or Aristotle based on the evidence then we should have a great idea about Jesus and Paul and others in the New Testament because the evidence is far stronger. There's another level of evidence related to the New Testament that other text traditions can't touch. And it's connected directly to the questions related to historicity, how faithfully the New Testament relates historical information. First, there is the archaeological evidence that corroborates New Testament narratives. It is as strong as for the Old Testament. I should mention that there has never been an archaeological discovery that refutes a biblical account. Never. We also have documentation outside the Bible that speaks to issues related to the person and work of Jesus Christ described in the New Testament. Now, this isn't direct confirmation, but we shouldn't expect that from extra-biblical sources. These were authors who were not overly sympathetic to Christians who were usually depicted as a weird sect coming out of Judaism or as a cultic group of devotees of this Jesus of Nazareth. What they do say, however, gives us interesting insight into the identity of Jesus and the Christian community. And the writings we're looking at are early enough that one cannot suggest that the Christian community has used its influence or sway to intimidate them. They wrote early in the second century at a time when Christians were still a small, relatively weak, and sometimes persecuted minority group. All the evidence Is that these were sincere statements by dispassionate observers. Here are a few examples. Tacitus, who lived from 56 to about 120 AD, wrote this, Nero fastened the guilt on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of Pontius Pilate. And A most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. Now this account tells us a few things. First, it tells us that Tacitus doesn't really like Christians. But second, it, it locates Christians in history as a group persecuted by Nero. It mentions the crucifixion of Christ by Pontius Pilate. And it also alludes to the growth of the Christian community. Now this growth seems odd if the founder had been killed. There ought to be no reason for Christian religion to proliferate unless it's Christ, its founder, were no longer dead, which is an inference easily derived from this excerpt. Next, Pliny the Younger, writing just at the beginning of the second century, around 112 AD. He writes, they were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God, and bound themselves by a solemn, solemn oath not to any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word, nor deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate, then reassemble, to partake of the food, but food of an ordinary and innocent kind. Pliny was the governor of Bithynia, a region of modern-day Turkey, where Paul traveled on his missionary journeys. He noted in his letters to Roman Emperor Trajan some of the practices of these Christians, Among them, singing in apparent worship to Christ as a god. This suggests that the idea of Jesus as God was not something that evolved over time, as some historians of religion have suggested, but was rather a a concept that goes at least very near to the beginning of Christian religion. Hmm. Here's a a third one. Josephus, who lived from about 37 to about 100 AD. He wrote this, About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he wrought surprising feats. He was the Christ. When Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared, restored to life, and the tribe of Christians has not disappeared. This excerpt is part of Josephus' historical work called Antiquities. It's a rather startling external account that describes Jesus as having appeared, restored to life after the crucifixion. And again, this is from an author who was neither Christian nor particularly sympathetic to Christians. Now, I will admit that these sections are contested by some scholars. But the foundation for the challenge, especially for this last excerpt from Josephus, is the assumption that someone who's not a Christian would would not have written about the resurrection. The assumption is that a Christian author must have edited the document to add that detail. But here's the thing. There is no evidence of such editorial work. It is just an assumption. Which brings us to the last two pieces of evidence. We don't possess the original manuscripts of the books of the New Testament. But scholars who have examined the evidence carefully are confident that the books were written between the early 40s and 50s for the earliest books, like Galatians, and the end of the first century for the last books, John's epistles and, and Revelation. This is important for a number of reasons. I'm going to give just one. The books of the New Testament were written and in circulation early enough that eyewitnesses of the events in them were still around. Had they contained errors or fabulous additions, there were people who could have refuted them. But no one did. Quite the contrary. Writers and readers of the books affirmed the truth of the stories, especially the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And finally there's this. Some scholars of the Synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have suggested largely based on the assumption that miracles and the resurrection could not have really occurred, that the Synoptic Gospels are unreliable records about Jesus. We are pretty certain that gospel accounts circulated orally for a time and then were written down a few decades after the time of Christ. These scholars assume that the apostles, a bunch of uneducated rubes mostly, couldn't reliably remember what actually happened, so they supplemented the few facts they could remember with wild and fanciful stories about miracles and a leader rising from the dead. these scholars suggest, is how we got our Gospels. But here's the problem with that story. I learned this in seminary from my professor, Dr. Craig Evans, and it blew me away. Jesus taught in the rabbinic tradition. They called him rabbi. And it is widely known that rabbis taught by telling their students content and having them repeat it back from memory. That was how content was passed, memorization. Okay, but how much, really? The Talmud is the collected commentary on the Jewish law. There are two major versions of the Talmud, the Palestinian and the Babylonian. They were transmitted orally for several centuries before they were finally published. When they were, the Babylonian Talmud was about 15,000 pages, and the Palestinian one was only slightly shorter. 15,000 pages, if you stack that many on this table, would be about this high. That's a lot of pages. There were rabbis who had memorized large sections of the Talmud and a few that had memorized the Talmud in its entirety. Now, if you look in your Bible, you will see that the synoptic gospels altogether, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, fill about 100 pages. That's all three That's actually not a lot of content there to assimilate compared to what the rabbis commonly memorized. So on the basis of what they could have learned from memory, the likelihood that the synoptic gospels give a reliable account of Jesus' life is actually quite high, not low. So does this material that I've presented prove that the Bible is true? No, it doesn't. It's not intended to because the faith in Jesus Christ that we have doesn't happen solely on the basis of the evidence. It's a spiritual transformation done through the Holy Spirit. My goal is to demonstrate that faith in Christ, in the God of the covenant, does not cause us to retreat from the facts. Rather, we see that the facts pose no obstacle to faith. And we realize that if we apply the accepted rules to the Bible that we apply elsewhere, the question to ask is not, why believe, but rather, why not?